Okay, welcome to Progressive News Network on Blog Talk Radio. I'm Janine Moloff, the producer and host. Here's hoping the third time is the charm. Um, we've been having some serious technical difficulties here, and so I have tried to run this particular show, oh, God, I would say twice already. So this is the third chance. Uh, after which we're going to be bidding goodbye to Blog Talk Radio and definitely looking for a better platform. Um, so I do apologize to our listeners. Um, this is a live show, and frankly, I'm not, you know, exactly a tech savant. So give, you know, just kind of be patient with me, folks. All right. So if you saw our advert, we've been trying to run this show. Uh, it. Basically, it's very plain, and it just says, fascist GOP plan to destroy public education from ADF. ADF stands for the Alliance Defending Freedom. Now, talk about irony in terms of the name of that particular organization. ADF, or the Alliance Defending Freedom, is a far-right group. In fact, to say they're far-right is really not giving it enough credit. They are ultra far right, ultra conservative. And when I say far right, they are religious fundamentalists who, in my opinion, want to force Christian fundamentalism on the rest of us. They despise secular law, even though they use attorneys. In fact, uh, this, there is a, a Missouri connection because one of their lead attorneys who worked on the Dobbs decision as well as the 303 creative decision was Aaron, Mo Aaron Morrow Hawley, who is Senator Josh Hawley's little wifey. Uh, it is what it is. So this show, I attempted to run that sh this show last week, and then again I attempted to do it a couple days ago, but somehow the audio never surfaced. So now, if it sounds a little different, I'm trying something different today. I'm using my phone. I'm not sure what happened, but we're going to be looking for a better platform and some ways to improve the audio quality. So kind of bear with me. Um, so let's get on with the show. So the GOP, which GOP, for those of you that are not politically adept, means grand old party, i.e. the Republicans. The GOP, they've had a long-term plot to destroy public schools, and it began with the infamous Powell Memo, and that was authored by the late Supreme Court Justice Lewis Powell. So this was back in like the late 60s, Richard Nixon was involved, and shortly after Powell authored this memo, which was really a battle plan to drain off what the Republicans considered incorporatist also considered excess democracy, Powell was rewarded with a seat on the Supreme Court. I'm not saying he was bribed, but, you know, it, it is another stain on the SCOTUS or Supreme Court, uh, you know, history. So basically, you know, the GOP of that time, when Lewis Powell drafted this battle plan, felt that there was too much democracy in this country. I mean, it was the late 60s, and unions were at their apex, and workers were making, you know, really good money. I mean, if you were a unionized worker, you could literally support 
an entire family on the one salary. You could afford to get a house, a car. You could afford vacations. I mean, it, it's what helps build the middle class. And in terms of that, that was too much economic democracy. And then also you had the changes in the 60s and 70s where minorities were demanding fair treatment, and the GOP couldn't have that. Now, I know there are calls to civility these days, and I would love to have civility. However, civility should not become a euphemism for unilateral surrender. And often the people on the Republican side that are calling for civility, what they really want is for those of us fighting to end economic inequality and to end political inequality, they want us to just surrender is what it boils down to. And just, you know, go back to maintaining the old status quo where basically if you are a white Christian straight male, you are at the top of the heap, unless, of course, you were wealthy. And we don't want to go back to those bad old days. You know, some of us look at the 50s, the nifty 50s, and even the 60s, and we don't see good times, all right? We see overt and open discrimination against racial minorities, against religious minorities, against the LGBTQ community, and against women daring to want to have equal rights. We don't want to go back to that, even though that's what the far right wants us to do. So one of the ways they destroy democracy is by destroying public education. And this serves a couple of different things. So for instance, Wall Street's been eyeing those public education tax dollars for a long time. And basically, they also want to drain off public education so that it's mere training. They want our kids to, unless you're a child of the wealthy, they want our kids to get just enough education to be able to do menial jobs maybe higher-level jobs if that's what's needed, but not enough so that they can critically think, not enough so that they can actually rise above their economic caste in life. That's what's really going on here. And so the GOP's been following the, the Powell memo, this plan to basically systemically dismantle what little democracy we have here for decades. And they're nearly ready to destroy our public schools with I just put in the advert with, quote, glee in their stony little hearts and all in the name of their alleged freedom. Now, this plan to destroy our public schools is a plan really designed, it's two-pronged. One is to censor our teachers and curriculums so that these, our children don't learn how to critically think and also to censor to make sure that white Christian children never learn the full history of this country, including about systemic racism, misogyny, and so on and so forth. The other half of the plan is to defund it. And the way you defund public schools is by allowing vouchers. So we're going to be talking about that. Um, and the plan to do this, to defund by creating, they're, they're demanding a constitutional right to vouchers, not just vouchers to say go to another public school district, but a voucher for parents to take their child out of public school and use that tax, that public money, to pay private school tuition, especially parochial school tuition. And that is, as far as I'm concerned, wrong. This plan was cooked up by a group called Zeklad, 
and their ERZOT top schemer, a man named Peter Bollinger, who's the chair of their education committee. The plan is now in the form of a court case looming towards the Supreme Court, and it deals with the idea of, as I said a few minutes ago, quote, a constitutional right to educational vouchers from our collective public tax dollars said vouchers would be used to pay for private and parochial schools, including parochial schools that obviously teach discrimination, that teach bigotry, all right, as a religious minority. No, I don't want to pay to send kids to, for instance, a fundamentalist school that teaches them to hate other religions. I don't, okay? So we're, that's our first story, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. The second story, almost as damning, maybe in some ways more, this deals with a little-known Idaho law that it, it's called the No Public Funds for Abortion Act, but it's really a free speech censorship act, and it provides for, get this, a 14-year prison term if anyone, including professors, fail to obey this government-imposed censorship. So that's our second story. We will have, um, and hopefully the audio works, a new episode of My Little Margie, our favorite blonde Neanderthal, and of course our Jackass of the Week award. We're also going to have um, a little bit of an editorial final words and uh, a Randy Rainbow segment as well. So with no further ado, let's move to our first story. Now, this is based on information from a, a journalistic uh, group called Documented, and they do phenomenal work. And this piece uh, was written by Nick Serge of Documented. The headline is the following, quote, the legal arm of the Christian right has a plan to sink the public school system. It goes on to say their internal recordings and documents were obtained by Documents and we've released them in a new video report, end quote. And this was published October 4th. I tried to get it to everybody as quickly as I could. We had audio difficulties. If this doesn't uh, publish, in other words, if, if the audio doesn't work on here, get ready. to. Uh, I will send out, well, we're going to be looking for a new place because I've had it. All right, so this is the legal arm of the Christian right, and it is really... Um, you know, about more about parochial schools than anything else, Christian fundamentalists. You know, these are the same people that keep claiming we're being denied our religious liberty when, in fact, nobody's denying them their religious liberty. We're just saying you can't discriminate with impunity, with legal impunity. That's what it is. But that's what they want. So, this comes from the Alliance Defending Freedom, who really works hand-in-hand with DCLOG. And the actual uh, report dates back to June of 2021. And this is Alliance Defending Freedom is the same uh, group, right-wing legal group that I said earlier uh, set the groundwork, quote, for striking down Roe v. Wade. And the same lawyers began meeting secretly with some wealthy Christian right donors to plan how to destroy our public education system, okay? Now, these same people were inspired by uh, Donald Trump's former Attorney General, William Barr. Now, 
you can be a conservative, I don't care. But for a former attorney general to take a stand against public education in the vicious manner which Bill Barr did is obscene. Absolutely obscene. Okay? He's supposed he was supposed to represent all of us, not just the people he approved of. Now, Barr was receiving an award in 2021, um, and he gave this speech. Now, in his speech, and you're going to hear hopefully the audio, he said the following. It's what Bill Barr said about public schools. Quote, I think we have to confront the reality that it may no longer be fair, practical, or even constitutional to provide publicly funded education solely through the vehicle of state-operated schools, end quote. So Bill Barr's challenging the constitutionality of the funding mechanism for our public schools. And by doing that, he's challenging the constitutionality of public schools themselves. And he's using these code words that, you know, religious bigots love, like state-operated, state-operated schools. They're called public schools, okay? But he's using that phrase because it triggers the people that keep thinking that, well, if it's from the government and if it represents everybody, it must be communist. Not, but again. So after the speech, there was a recording, and um, Bill Barr was speaking with leaders from the Alliance Defending Freedom and ZCLOG. Now, ZCLOG is this secretive, according to this article, ZCLOG is, quote, a secretive funding project for high net worth families. That challenged, that challenged, so the, let me start again. All right. ZCLOG, according to this report, is, quote, a secretive funding project for high net worth families that channels millions of dollars to groups like ADF, end quote. High net worth families, translation, filthy rich, um, and the ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. So this plan was created for this multiple stage litigation. And the litigation isn't what it claims to be on the surface. The explicit goal is to literally drain from public schools a trillion, with a T, a trillion dollars annually each year from our public schools. That was the plan. Think about that for a minute. This group, Ziklag, hand-in-hand with the Alliance Defending Freedom, hatched this conspiracy, because that's what it is, through this frivolous litigation that they know won't hold water, to literally drain off a trillion dollars, with a T, a trillion dollars every year from our public schools, which would destroy them. Now, Peter Bollinger, who's the man that I spoke about earlier, he's one of the leaders in Ziklag, that he's their education chair. He was quoted saying the following, quote, our goal is not, just, is not to just throw stones. Our goal is to take down the education system as we know it today, end quote. And that was in a recording obtained by Documented. Now, Documented has also obtained other internal recordings. They've also obtained planning documents and other materials for this specific project. Uh, and this is, you know, Basically, Ziklag hand in hand with the Alliance Defending Freedom. This is this is the legal quote the legal strategy from the legal arm of the Christian right. End quote. These are Christian fundamentalists. I'm going to call them what they are: Christian fundamentalist bigots. 
that want to form that want to not only destroy public schools, but they want to force their way on everyone else. Okay, keep in mind, Alliance Defending Freedom is part of the is one of the groups responsible for state legislatures not only targeting abortion but targeting the rights of LGBTQ people to even exist. Okay, ADF also helped pave the way for Supreme Court bigot Justice Amy Coney Barrett. In fact, Justice Amy, as I call her, according to uh, documented, and according to, let's see now, don't realize this, taught, quote, in the ADF, Alliance Defending Freedom's Blackstone Legal Fellowship Program for five years. And it goes on to say, quote, both Barrett and Justice Samuel Alito took Blackstone alumni as law clerks last summer, that would have been, you know, 122, as the court considered 303 Creative v. Ellenis, which was a lawsuit filed by the ADF on behalf of a Christian web designer against Colorado's public accommodations law. Um, the Supreme Court struck down the anti-discrimination statute on free speech grounds, end quote. Now, that's the case that I believe that Aaron Morrow Hawley was connected with, that's Josh Hawley's wife, and you know, she's in trouble now because the 303 Creative v. Ellenist case, it, um, this Christian web designer, you know, normally when you bring a lawsuit, you have, you have to show that you have, you know, that some wrong has been done to you. That Christian web designer was never approached by any gay couple wanting a website. It was a what if. And... Aaron Morrow Holly posited it to the court as if it had actually occurred. You're not supposed to lie to the court, okay? But she got away with it, just saying. So this is what we're dealing with here. Um, and so a gr another group, another progressive, another journalist group called More Perfect Union was the first to publish these recordings, and they had a partnership with Documented. Um, more Perfect Union and Documented also provided the Washington Post with materials um, when they covered a similar story. Now, this is, the Alliance Defending Freedom is hoping now that the 6-3 majority on the Supreme Court is going to allow them to, you know, basically totally change the way we fund public schools. In fact, it's really about defunding public schools. Make no mistake about it. And for those of you that are maybe lower income or middle income and think, well, these vouchers could be a good thing. I could get my kid into a better school. Understand this. Private and parochial schools do not have to keep your kid. You know, once your child becomes too much of a bother, the, the private and parochial schools will keep the voucher and kick the kid out. And then you'll have to send them to a defunded public school system. That's what's happening here. So the Alliance Defending Freedom has also been linked along with ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, to um, also these asinine protests at school board meetings all over the country where parents are protesting, you know, things like critical race theory. Now, keep in mind, critical race theory has never been taught K through 12. I am a former educator of 30 years experience. I can tell you this. Critical race theory is taught in law school. But what these bigots are calling critical race theory 
is really any mention of the full and true history of the United States, especially when you're talking about our legacy of slavery, Jim Crow laws, and other forms of systemic discrimination and systemic abuse of racial minorities, um, the LGBTQ community, and women, and religious minorities. They don't want to hear it. They want to hear the Disney version, the Disney-fied version of history where it basically says white Christians were the savior of the world and nothing bad ever happened, which is a load of crap. So, and because of this type of instigation, school boards, school board members all over the country that don't agree with these religious fundamentalist freaks um, are facing not just threats and intimidation, they're facing death threats. And that was as reported by Reuters. Now, there was a call with the Zeklog donors in July of 2021 um, getting ready for this plan to uh, go to court, to take it to the Supreme Court and try and build a case for a constitutional right to education vouchers, public money vouchers, so that parents can send their children either private or parochial schools. And, uh, excuse me, the histrionics and the lies uh, coming from the ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom and Z-Clock, are beyond the pale. So then ADF President Mike Ferris. Mike Ferris is like the granddaddy of all this anti-public school sentiment. And this man had the absolute gall to compare public schools to the Nazis. Okay, now, as a Jew who lost family in the Holocaust, I can call that out. But an outsider, no, you can't. Okay? Um, and Ferris told these, these donors, these rich people, Michael Ferris said, um, quote, what we see going on in the public schools has an uncanny parallel to the Third Reich. There's a clear open effort to indoctrinate kids in this woke ideology, end quote. Well, you know, given the fact that Mr. Ferris never actually taught school, I don't even know if he went to public school for that matter, um, I guess my comment to Mr. Ferris and Peter Bollinger and, yes, Aaron Morrow-Holly is, Aaron Morrow-Holly, when you claim you have all this evidence, my response is this. Then fine, produce your evidence or shut the fuck up because I've had it. Teaching is difficult enough as is, and they're making it impossible because, again, the very rich, it's not just about religious fundamentalists, the very rich do not want your children to have a good education. They want them to have mere training. They want them to stay trapped. Okay? So Ferris explained to Zinklag what the plan was. And according to this article, quote, the plan was to bring lawsuits in different parts of the country designed to create a split in the federal courts that the Supreme Court would ha have to step in to resolve, okay, end quote. And so they're pushing this school choice crap. Again, this ties in with um, this, all this started right after desegregation became the law of the land. So this does have a, it's not just religious, this has a tie-in to systemic racism as well, okay? It just does. In my hometown of St. Louis, you know, after DSEG came through here, you saw a lot of white Christian parents um, just 
pull their kids out of public school because they didn't want their white children going to school with black kids, and they enrolled them in parochial schools. And then as soon as they could, they moved out into the burbs, and it was white flight. So to pretend this isn't about racism as well is ludicrous because it is. So these programs for vouchers, they siphon money off of public schools. And so now the Alliance Defending Freedom, and I'm reading straight from this article again, quote, now the ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom, wants the Supreme Court to institute a nationally mandated school voucher program. <clears throat> and this is a quote from Michael Ferris again, quote, the main aim of this is to say, if you're going to teach a worldview in the public schools, you've got to give a constitutional mandated voucher or some other form of educational choice to every parent who doesn't want to participate in that mandated kind of program of indoctrination, end quote. Okay? Now, what they're calling indoctrination is history. To pretend that systemic racism wasn't a part of this nation's history is ludicrous, all right? I don't remember uh, leading up to the Civil War white people being enslaved. It was black people. And Jim Crow laws after that, again, applied to black people. And then after desegregation, then they cooked up this idea of the war on drugs, where basically, um, you know, if you were a rich white boy sniffing cocaine in a club, you get illegally a slap on the wrist. And a black kid in the hood that a rock of, of crack would, be, would get life in prison. Okay, so the war on drugs it really became the mass incarceration project. Now, there are those that are going to claim, well, this is identity politics. Yeah, so, because, again, the discrimination was based on identities as well. I'm not playing this game. So we're going to go to, hopefully, to play the video. You'll hear the audio part of what I just described. Okay. Let me see if I can find it. <coughs> Excuse me. These are leaked secret recordings. WordPress made easy. Oh, sorry. Go big. Ready? Sorry about the ad, folks. We'll wait for it. Sorry about that. I just, this is a pain in the tail. Okay. What we see going on in the public schools is an uncanny parallel to the Third Reich. This is how Alliance Defending Freedom thinks about the public education system. And the government is trying to usurp the role of parents. They're radical, they're fringy, they're not grounded in truth. Religious liberty is not safe in the United States as long as we have the kind of public school system we have. The plan that they outline on these videos is nothing less than taking down the public education system. Our goal is not to just throw stones. Our goal is to take down the education system as we know it today. Okay. This has been the mission of the religious right really since desegregation. This is the Alliance Defending Freedom, the Christian right legal organization designated a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center that is trying to destroy public education in America. No matter what they say, they're not really interested in protecting freedom. They're interested in working to push their own radical, unpopular beliefs on Americans. The Alliance Defending Freedom, or ADF, was launched in 1994 by leaders in the Christian right community. We've been deep into believing that somehow you can separate 
your Christianity, your religion, from what's going on in the country politically. And you cannot. They're, they're in a corner today. It's a nearly $100 million operation with a single goal. We are here to keep the door open for the gospel. Alliance Spending Freedom is sort of on this mission to strip Americans of their rights and undermine democracy. Kayla Hancock is the director of the Power and Influence Project at Accountable.us, a government watchdog aimed at holding special interests accountable for their influence in politics. They were obviously the lawyers behind the recent 303 Creative versus Ellen's case, which offended decades of civil rights protections for LGBTQ Americans. So to see the kind of ruling we got was just an answer to prayer. They also brought the Masterpiece Cake Shop for Colorado case around the baker who wanted to deny service to same-sex couples who were getting married. I'm Michael Ferris. I'm the president and general counsel for Alliance Defending Freedom that defended Jack today. They were behind the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe v. Wade, and they're obviously not stopping there. We want Roe versus Wade reversed, but that's just kind of a huge milestone along the path to becoming a pro-life nation. And now this, where they choose to remove one of the most popular abortion pills from the market nationwide. This case is very important because it concerns the FDA's approval and continual deregulation of the chemical abortion drug. And, you know, I, I don't know when it stops, right? And they really have demonstrated that they should be taken seriously. Nick Sergey is executive director at Documented, a watchdog group that has been tracking the Alliance Defending Freedom and other organizations working in this area. Documented has obtained internal videos, documents, and other materials from the Alliance Defending Freedom and ZICLAG. And this shows that they want to do nothing less really than take down the public education system. And the fundamental change is to force via a Supreme Court decision a constitutionally mandated school voucher system. Bill Barber, former Attorney General under Trump, laid out the basis of this project. It may no longer be fair, practical, or even constitutional to provide publicly funded education solely through the vehicle of state-operated schools. This has been Mike Farris' life's work. Michael Ferris is the former CEO and general counsel at ADF. He has been a leader in the homeschool and school voucher crusades. The privatization of public education is very good for that system. Ever since the 1970s, he's been making um, similar arguments. He's making these recordings. The voucher system, one of the most necessary changes that our, our nation's education system needs. And you fast forward to today, now this is being taken seriously. I believe it's a winnable case now. Whereas yeah. 15 years ago, it probably wasn't. Alliance Defending Freedom is a highly networked organization, and many of the organizations that they work in coalition with have really, since early 2021, been trying to fan the flames around LGBTQ rights in schools, and in particular, what they describe as critical race theory being taught, is really just conversations taking place in the schools around racism, legacy of um, slavery in this country. We are now dealing with a radicalized, indoctrinated Marxist generation of youth that are actually the agents of the nation's destruction. And they want to use the anger that groups that they work with and help whip up really to try and push this legal strategy and do what the religious right has wanted for decades, really back to desegregation act to push school vouchers. The type of voucher for all program they're looking to secure would allow parents to remove their children from public schools, but would still force the government to subsidize their private education with public money, even at religious institutions.
I, I think that you know we could establish this as a constitutional right. Zigrag is an organization that channels money to projects on the right. Peter Bollinger is one of the leaders of Zigrag, and he chairs their education committee. For an investment of a few million dollars, we can literally and potentially shift the flow of approximately $750 billion of education funds. But it means recording the same kind of ground floor as legal strategy. We intend to bring a handful of cases to challenge the constitutionality of what's going on in the public schools. You hear them lay out their strategy as including, very clearly, judicial selection. Judicial selection would be very uh, much part of our strategy. They probably have specific judges in mind. They certainly have specific circuits in mind. We're going to file one of these cases in the Eighth Circuit. The Eighth Circuit is the best circuit in the country. Uh, for uh, principled originalist judges. Here we get a really unique insight into what they're hoping to achieve at this core in the next few years. In this environment, vouchers may be the only workable and the only constitutional solution. The same people who oppose Medicare for All, they love vouchers for all, including for the children of the wealthy. Carol Burris is a former public school teacher and principal. She now serves as the executive director of the Network for Public Education. You know, we see the rhetoric and the attacks on public schools ramp up, accusing us to, um, of indoctrinating <laughs> children. to an indoctrination, and I've seen that in the last few years, it's grown, it's gotten even worse, and they make it So that last woman that claimed that it was an indoctrination, she was actually a summit speaker at an Alliance Defending Freedom uh, conference, and she was a mom. I don't know if she had any educational credentials or not. Probably not. Again, this, these are religious fundamentalists that are claiming their religious liberty is being somehow violated because they don't want their children polluted, if you will, with being around children from other cultures, other religions, other races, you name it. Now, they don't have to send their kids to public schools, but those of us, everybody pays into public schools, and we shouldn't have to pay for their parochial school. That's a choice the parents make. Okay, back to Carol Burris, who is a public teacher. Very clear what it is that they want to accomplish, which is the destruction of public education in our country. The public schools, because of market forces, would be really compelled to clean up the rack. Problem is, no one ever follows the logic through what would happen if we had a marketplace system in the United States, and that was the only system we had, which is the ultimate goal. There are going to be places where parents are not going to get the schools that they want if they can get a school at all, because that's how the marketplace works, right? It goes where there are customers. So what happens when we have areas where there just are not that many families to serve? Where will there be a school? Where does your child go? And there are very real issues with moving towards a fully voucher-based approach to our nation's education. We have years of research on voucher programs, and it's very clear 
students who leave public schools on average or private school do worse and sometimes a lot worse like 0.40 standard deviations worse which is huge given the current makeup of the supreme court i i really believe that um, we could have success will they be successful you know what i i honestly don't know given this particular supreme court and some of the rulings that they've had in the past and in many ways, the ADF and affiliated groups have already been successful. There really has been an almost 180-degree shift in how the Supreme Court thinks about public subsidies for private religious institutions. Kevin Wellner is a professor of education, policy, and law at CU Boulder. He also directs the National Education Policy Center. Vouchers for religious schools were thought to be constitutionally forbidden by the Establishment Clause in the 1970s, for example. And then we had a decision out of Cleveland in 2003 called the Zellman Decision. It was a challenge to the voucher policy in Cleveland, where the court said, no, that's actually constitutionally allowed based on a variety of arguments, but particularly the argument that it's not the state deciding which schools receive the money, it's the parents deciding which um, schools to send their kids to, and that Okay, so the Zellman decision, again, I'm interrupting here, I have a major problem with because, and I think the Supreme Court was totally wrong on this, they thought they were being, the conservatives in the court thought they were being very cute by saying, well, it's not the state that is somehow offending the Establishment Clause, which says the state can't promote an establishment of a, any one religion, and it's not the state doing it, it's not the courts doing it, it's the parents. But the parents have always had the opportunity to send their kids to, for instance, parochial schools. They have to pay for it. It is the state actually uh, endorsing a parochial school when it's public funds being pulled out of public schools to allow these parents to pay for parochial schools. So it is a state endorsement. And the Zellman decision was decided totally wrong, but this lawyer's uh, explaining it. Year 2020 out of Montana, the Espinoza decision, where the court said, you know, under these particular circumstances where you have a voucher policy or you have a state policy that funds some private schools, the Constitution actually requires that you also fund religious private schools. Otherwise, it's discriminating, basically withholding money from an institution because it's religious. Now, all of that on the Espinoza decision as well might have held water, except for one problem. Public schools are paid for with public tax dollars. Public schools are there for anybody. Anybody is welcome, no matter what. A public school cannot turn you down, no matter what. And they're there in case you want to send your kids. Or let's say you're sending your kids to private or parochial school, and you have a bad year, you lose your job, and you can no longer afford it, you can send your kids to public schools. That's what those funds pay for. So to say, well, you can't discriminate. The whole idea of a voucher is pulling it away from the public school in the first place, which should never be allowed. You know, But what they're doing is they're basing that voucher's worth on a statistical term called per-pupil expenditure. And that makes it look like if you're in District A, let's say, and the per, and let's say it's you know, fairly affluent, and the per-pupil expenditure for each child, what's spent on each child approximately equals, let's say, $15,000. I'm just pulling out a figure here. Parents and these, these really dirty lawyers take that to mean 
see, that's worth a $15,000 voucher every year. No, it's not. Per pupil expenditure does not mean that you're entitled to pull your kid out and take that money. A per pupil expenditure is, first of all, it's a base average. And what they do is they first total up all the money that comes into a school district. That means grants, that means, you know, local tax dollars, state level, federal, you name it, every penny that goes into a school district. And then they total up how many kids in any given year, and really it's by the day actually, are actually in attendance. And then they divide um, the number of kids into that base total. And that's how they come up with per pupil expenditure. It does not mean it's a voucher amount. That is fraudulent. And these lawyers from the Alliance Defending Freedom know damn well that it's wrong. But the fact that it went all the way up to the Supreme Court in two decisions, both Zellman and Espinoza, shows that the conservatives on the court, let's face it, they're taking their marching orders from some very rich donors, in my opinion, okay? And they're ignoring the law. That's it. Because if it was a legitimate, fair decision, there would be no vouchers. That's it. What we would have, though, would be some sort of equity in funding where there would be, like, revenue sharing, something like that, where rich districts had to help out lower-income districts. Just saying. But anyway, back to this guy, this lawyer. And then we had a decision two years later out of Maine, the Carson and Bacon decision, where the court built on that and extended it even further. So we're, we're sort of creeping toward decisions that could be even more rapid. In recordings, ADF seems to believe that now is the time to strike and enact their vision for our country. Supreme Court is better than I've ever seen it. And um, I, I think that we've... You know, we have to take our shot now. What we know about this project is probably just the tip of the iceberg, but this is where they're coming from, and they won't stop because they, I think sincerely, view public schools as something that is that bad, that dangerous, that evil, that they will never stop. We are committed to act. Okay, so back to the show. Um, Nick Serge was sharing that, and I... I I'm not quite as hopeful as he is. I think that there's two groups within these radical fundamentalists. I think that there are there's a bunch of Wall Street um, donors, if you will, that really don't care if the kids in public schools are taught, you know, to worship Satan. They're eyeing the money, okay, just like they're eyeing Medicare dollars. Make no mistake about it. And at what point does your child become unprofitable? Okay, that plus if it's privatized, and that's what they're really talking about here, um, private schools, including parochial, don't have to service your child. They don't have to provide anything because it's private. They can discriminate with legal impunity, make no mistake about it. And especially parochial schools because then they can claim it's our religious liberty. Okay. Now, there's another segment of these of people that are religious fundamentalists, and they really do resent the idea that their children are going to school with non-Christians. I'm just going to say it. All right? They think that somehow if you're not a Christian, you must be evil, and they don't want their children polluted by that. And it's a really dangerous mindset. Make no mistake about it. 
Um, but that's what's going on. So, and what they're aiming towards is they want the Alliance Defending Freedom, what they're gearing up for is a constitutional right for an education voucher to private and parochial schools, period. That's it. And that will essentially, if enough people take them up on it, that will essentially defund public education. Make no mistake about it. It just will. The kids will go to private school. They'll keep them long enough to keep the money, kick them out, and then they will basically go to an educational ghetto, including a lot of middle-class schools in the burbs, because so many funds have been drained off. That's what's happening, folks. So we're going to be talking about this more in the future, but we're going to move on. You know, and again, the right hates public schools. So, you know, the flawed thinking, you know, with the Zellman decision and the Espinoza decision, again, they, especially in the Zellman decision, the Supreme Court back, I think it was in 03, they omitted one, to borrow a phrase, inconvenient truth, namely that paying for non-public schools with vouchers taken from public monies is endorsing a religious or private institution because endorsements also include payment. Without payment, your kid can't go there. Good God. All righty. So, and this is something I looked up from Investopedia, which business people should love, and key takeaways for endorsement also includes a stamp or a signature that authorizes payment or a transfer of funds, period. So they need to stop making up crap. You know, so essentially the endorsement of private or religious schools is not merely coming from parents, as they said in the Zellman decision, but from the government in the case of vouchers coming from public money. All of us pay since the government-issued voucher pays that bill. Good God. Okay. So that's what we're dealing with here. Now we're going to move on to our next story. And before we do that, then hopefully you can hear it, all right? I'm going to play a little musical interlude that, uh, yeah, it's a few minutes, it does mock um, not only what these religious nutjobs want, which is that resegregation based on religious discrimination and as well as racial discrimination, but also, the next story about censorship, uh, you can't even talk about abortion in Idaho without uh, risking a 14-year prison sentence. So here's our musical interlude. Hopefully, you can hear it. Give me a minute. Okay, got to get rid of the commercial. Sorry about that, folks. Well, there's the weather, of course, when it's in season. Give me a minute. Trouble in River City.
keen eye. Did you ever take and try to give an ironclad leave to yourself from a three-rail billiard shot? But just as I say, it takes judgment, brains, and maturity to score in a bottom-line game, I say that any fool can take and shove a ball in a pocket. And I call that slot. The first big step on the road to the depths of Grenada. Say first, medicinal wine from a teaspoon, then beer from a bottle. And the next thing you know, your son is playing for money in a pinchback suit. And listening to some big out-of-town Jasper here to tell about horse race gambling. Not a wholesome trotting race, no, but a race where they set down right on the horse. Like see some stuck-up jockey boy setting on Dan Patch? Make your blood boil, well, I should say. Now, friends, let me tell you what I need. You got one, two, three, four, five, six pockets in the table. Pockets that mark the difference between a gentleman and a bum with a capital B, and that rhymes with P, and that stands for pool. And all week long, in River City, you could be frittering away a St. Your Young, that'll be frittering. Frittering away there noontime, suppertime, chore time, too. Get the ball in the pocket, never mind getting dandelions, pulled to the screen door, packaged in the beach, they found it. Never mind pumping any water till your parents are caught with a cistern empty on a Saturday night, and that's trouble. Yes, you got lots and lots of trouble. I'm thinking of the kids in the knickerbocker, shirt tail young ones, peeking in the pool hall window after school, you got trouble. Focus! Right here in River City. Trouble with a capital T, and that rhymes with P, and that stands for pool. Now, I know all you folks are the right kind of parents. I'm going to be perfectly frank. Would you like to know what kind of conversation goes on while they're loafing around that hall? They're trying out Bevo, trying out Cubat, trying out tailor maids like cigarette bees, and bragging all about how they're going to cover up a telltale breast with sense, and one fine night, they leave the pool hall, heading for the dance of the armory, libertine men, and scarlet women, and ragtime, shameless music, and grab your son, your daughter, to the arms of a jungle, animal instinct, mass theria. Friends, the idle brain is the devil's playground. Trouble! Oh, yes, signs of corruption. The minute your son leaves the house, does he rebuckle his knickerbockers below the knee? Is there a nicotine stain on his index finger? A dime novel hidden in the corn crib? Is he starting to memorize jokes from Captain Billy's whiz bag? Are certain words creeping into his conversation? Words like like swell. Aha! And so's your old man. But if so, my friends, you got trouble. Right here in River City. With capital T and that rhymes with P and that stands for who? Surely got trouble. Right here in River City. We simmer the main with the rock and the golden rule. Oh, we got trouble. We're in terrible, terrible trouble. Okay, back to the broadcast here. Whoops, folks, we're just dealing with the technical aspects of it today. Now, obviously, that was a joke, trouble in River City. But once again, these religious fundamentalists, they're that nutty. I'm just going to say it. I'm tired of being tolerant towards them when they're intolerant towards people like me. 
All right, so the, and this, that little musical segue also goes into the second story, and that is about um, an Idaho law called the No Public Funds for Abortion Law. And basically, it, it passed in Idaho, but, you know, it, it's really misnamed because you think, okay, so you can't get an abortion in Idaho and you can't pay for it. All right. No, this is actually an abortion speech censorship law. And the true danger in this is if a law like this, if it's allowed to stand, it doesn't just censor. It doesn't just violate the First Amendment free speech provision and censor a specific type of speech. It criminalizes that speech. And that's the real danger. So this is a piece that was written by Elizabeth Giori, who is a William J. Brennan Fellow. Um, the Brennan Center for Law, and this is it's written as part of the ACLU Speech Privacy and Technology Project, and it was published uh, August 8, 2023. So the headline is, Idaho wants to jail professors for teaching about abortion. Idaho's No Public Funds for Abortion Act effectively strips professors of their First Amendment right to academic speech. End quote. And so the ACLU is suing on behalf of these professors. Now, this is really, this particular law is worded very um, dangerously. So it prohibits, the law itself prohibits, quote, the use of any public funds to, quote, promote or, quote, counsel in favor of abortion. Okay. Now, the two important parts of this law are those two phrases. The idea of whether or not you're promoting abortion or you're counseling in favor of it. And that those two terms are so vague, you know, it could be construed to be anything. And because of that, academic speech about this subject, whether it's philosophical, whether it's in a legal context, whether it's, again, I presume medical school even, has been silenced, all right? Because, once again, this is the harshest law in the nation because this provides potentially a, for, for anybody who breaks this law, it provides a potential 14-year jail sentence. I kid you not. 14 years up to, of imprisonment. And, you know, the ACLU is right. This is Idaho's abortion censorship law because it is. Now, if you want to avoid jail time, according to the ACLU, as well as the fines that go along with and other penalties, um, professors, you know, keep in mind, in colleges and universities, these young people are legally adults, so this K-12 argument that you're protecting the babies just doesn't work. But all different academic disciplines, these professors, quote, have been forced to strip abortion-related content from their curricula, instruction, and scholarship, or risk their livelihoods. Okay, end quote. In fact, it's not just risking their livelihoods. They could, again, face up to 14 years in prison. I kid you not. Uh, and then they list some examples of what's happening in Idaho. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> There's a political science professor who doesn't lecture on abortion public policy anymore. There's a social work professor at Boise State University that, quote, has stopped assigning their own scholarship to their students on how international ethics principles for social workers undergird arguments made by abortion rights advocates, end quote. So um, 
excuse me, the ACLU, uh, the national ACLU as well as the ACLU of Idaho, they filed this lawsuit on behalf of two, both teachers unions and six individual professors, okay? So, and the case is Idaho Federation of Teachers versus Labrador. Now the ACLU does contend that the No Public Funds for Abortion Act, quote, violates First Amendment rights to professors across public, Idaho's public universities by broadly and prospectively suppressing all academic speech that might express a viewpoint favorable to abortion. It also runs contrary to the Supreme Court's recognition that, quote, and this is a quote from the Supreme Court, quote, academic freedom is of transcendent value to all of us and, quote, is therefore a special concern of the First Amendment which does not tolerate laws that cast a pall of orthodoxy over the classroom, end quote. It goes on to say the Supreme Court also said, uh, held that, quote, teachers and students must always remain free to inquire, to study, and to evaluate, to gain new maturity and understanding. Otherwise, our civilization will stagnate and die, end quote. And those quotes came from the Supreme Court. Now, the law, according to the ACLU, is so vague that an ordinary person also couldn't understand what speech is not only prohibited, let's call it what it is. It's worded with those two phrases, promoting or counsel in favor of, they're both so vague. It is impossible for a regular, an ordinary person who is not an attorney to know what specific speech is potentially criminalized. Okay, it's so subjective. And the ACLU goes on to say, quote, for example, these terms could potentially encompass discussions about proposed legislation to scale back Idaho's criminalization of abortion, uh, objective public health data or statistical analysis that imply advantages to abortion access, or discussion of medical, social, or familial circumstances where abortion might improve health outcomes, end quote. And the ACLU in this article also goes on to say, quote, the law's broad sweeping reach and lack of clarity are a particular concern for professors. Do the terms promote or, in counsel, or counsel in favor of cover, for example, the presentation of bioethical theories of bodily autonomy or, or personhood? Or statistical research demonstrating that the legalization of abortion can decrease maternal mortality rates? Do they cover lectures and class discussions on how feminist theory has addressed the right to access abortion? What about a discussion prompt asking students to reflect on abortion in the context of fatal fetal anomalies, end quote. So the ACLU is challenging this law. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> and, you know, this is, the ACLU goes on to say that this law in Idaho the No Public Funds for Abortion Act, quote, is an integral part of, this censor of a censorship wave. Indeed, it has already resulted in one pub Idaho public university pulling art about reproductive health care from a planned exhibit. So long as they are allowed to persist, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> these attacks on free speech will prevent us from having necessary conversations about abortion and all the silence the majority of Americans who believe people should have access to abortion. And so the lawsuit is to reverse this trend. Um, and you can look at it yourself at aclu.org. I would add, this is a censorship law. 
And regardless of where you stand on abortion or uh, the right of a woman to control her reproductive life, the fact remains, this is a dangerous, dangerous law that really is a slippery slope. It not only censors speech, like with fines or losing your job, but it criminalizes it. And if they can get away with criminalizing specific speech that they don't agree with in Idaho, then other types of speech can also be criminalized with mandatory jail terms. And these, you know, these conservatives love to talk about how they are originalists with the Constitution. The last time I checked, um, one of the reasons we wrote the Constitution and the First Amendment free speech was such a big deal is because King George had criminalized all kinds of speech with mandatory jail. So this real law in, in Idaho is all about religious fundamentalism. Not only can you not control your body, but God forbid you should talk about it. This is theocracy in motion. Make no mistake about it. And it's specific to Christian fundamentalism, and it's very dangerous. Now, the actual, um, the actual sponsor, okay, is a Idaho representative. Let me get him in just a second. Representative Joe Alfieri. <coughs> now, Representative Joe Alfieri, first of all, he's the guy who is like the lead sponsor of this vile law, okay? He's not a physician. He's not a member of the clergy. He's not a lawyer. He is, according to his webpage from legislature.idaho.gov, um, according to his own description, he is, quote, an entrepreneur and businessman. It says op he opened the first retail computer store in New York City in 1980, selling Apple IIs to the New York Times, Newsweek, etc. Wow. This guy, when it comes to tech, is also a dinosaur. Uh, he was a topography director for a large advertising agency, and he started a boutique ad agency in California serving the Apple computer peripheral market. He studied website design and became a corporate trainer. And this is the man who knows all about free speech and all about medicine and law. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. So if you'd like to give Representative Joe Alfieri a piece of your mind, and I please urge you to do so, there are two, first of all, I'm going to give you his, his uh, email address, which is capital J, and then it's jalfieri at house.idaho.gov. J is capitalized, and so is the A in Alfieri. So it's capital J, capital A, L is in Larry, F is in Fred, I-E-R-I at house.idaho.gov. Um, you can also contact this Neanderthal. Um, his state house phone number, when in session, is 208-332-1065. His home number, it's right here listed on his webpage, is 208-699-0021. Give Mr. Alfieri a piece of your mind because he clearly is a jackass. In fact, he's so vile, we're going to skip ahead here to our Jackass of the Week Award. Hopefully you can hear it. 
Welcome to PNN's Jackass of the Week Award, where we reward true jackassery in all of its merits and glory. Okay, and this week, our Jackass of the of the Week Award predictably goes to Idaho Representative Joe Alfieri, the lead sponsor of the No Public Funds for Abortion Bill, which essentially criminalizes speech. All right? It's a direct challenge to the free speech provision of the First Amendment, and it's incredibly dangerous. So apparently Mr. Alfieri either is a religious nut job or he really despises democracy or both because here's the thing. If you're a religious fundamentalist, then you religious fundamentalism just doesn't really sit well with democracy. It just doesn't because let's say that religions are basically dictatorships, and in, in my own included. And so that's why we have secular law. But again, kudos. Joe Alfieri, jackass of the week. Spray on, jackass. Spray on. You never sounded more intelligent, you dumbass. Okay. Let's move on. Excuse me. Okay. So now we are going to, let me check our time here. Okay, we have a little time left over. I'm hoping that this is actually you know, recording, okay? So now we're going to go ahead with My Little Margie, okay? And let's face it, you know, we're going to talk about DC's favorite blonde Neanderthal. So here we go. We're going to do the music from the old TV series, My Little Margie. Welcome to PNN's My Little Margie segment. Our favorite blonde Neanderthal. What will she do next? Will she crap in her diaper? Who knows? Is she taking droids? We don't know. Look at those guns. But we do know that, gosh, she needs a strong hand. But then, you know, what Vern has to say is that, you know, well, that's my little Margie. Okay. So let's talk about my little Margie. Well, this week, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Donald Trump becoming, get this, the new Speaker of the House. Now, those of you that I used to think the same thing, that, well, don't you have to be a member of an elected member of the House of Representatives to run for Speaker? Not necessarily. Okay. Uh, the Republicans are banking on the idea that, well, there's nothing in the Constitution that says it has to be a member of the House. I kid you not. That's what they're basing it on. And, you know, they're making fun of, well, Trump wants to run. He's running for president. It can't be both. You can laugh about this, but I think there is something more Machiavellian behind it real quickly. I think that maybe the scheme cooked up by some of his crazy lawyers is that if Trump is made Speaker of the House by loyalist and still runs for president, then keep in mind, the Speaker of the House gets to decide 
how the electors from the Electoral College are counted. Another way for Trump to steal. That's my opinion. I'm going by it. But little Margie, she thought she was actually supporting dumb Donnie Trump when she actually was making the case against Trump being, and she tweeted, this is in her own Twitter account, or X, Rep. Marjorie Taylor Greene at Rep. MTG, on the user accent, quote, if Trump becomes Speaker of the House, the House chamber will be like a Trump rally every day. It would be the House of MAGA, end quote. And this was as of October 5th. And, you know, she made the case against him. All right? But once again, you know, we can't accuse little Margie of being overly intelligent. All right? So it would be a shit show. Make no mistake about it. But that is our little segment of My Little Margie. Our favorite blonde Neanderthal in D.C., what can I tell you? Only thing I can figure is, you know, I'm sure eventually she will enjoy her lobotomy. Okay. So, we've got a little time left. We're going to um, go to Randy Rainbow right now. All right. And hopefully all this, again, recorded because I'm really sick to death of blog talk. Okay. So, and hopefully you can hear these recordings because I'm having to do this on my phone. All right, so here is Randy Rainbow. Now, this is a, a, a song that he did that I played before. It's Don't Arraign on His Parade, you know, and it's Arraign spelled A-R-R-A-I-G-N, such as arraignment, okay? But it seems to be appropriate still. Here we go. Well, we're back again, and joining us now on his way to surrender at Georgia's luxurious Fulton County Prison, GOP frontrunner Donald Jessica Trump. Or do you prefer Rico Racketeering? Let's <laughs> 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 cut this You've just been indicted a fourth time, bringing the total number of felony charges against you to 91. Just nine more, and you get a free mugshot called election interference because I'm leading everybody by a lot in the polls for every Republican, frankly, and every Democrat, including Biden, by a lot. You know, i got to hand it to you, Mr. Former Fake, one-term, twice-impeached, currently four-time criminally indicted, not my president, girl. When people call me names or, you know, threaten to lock me up for 70 years for plotting to overthrow democracy, I'm in bed for a good week. But you, you just keep throwing parties for yourself. Last night I had a rally with tens of thousands of people. Good for you. Forget those trolls. You've got a country to destroy. You know, your delusional narcissism is inspiring. Don't do it. In fact, it reminds me of a song I once made. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't tell him he's a dirty lion bragger. Life's Big Macs and the tongue's a ball of maga. Don't anybody dare a rain on his parade.
Malik hung aside the pork and knife and insurrection. This is we are both slimy asshole of a guy. Oh, people, 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 Dating back to World War II. 
Now, the sad fact is that both Jews and Muslims seem to have equally legitimate claims to the same piece of land, claims that are, in my opinion, very similar to that of indigenous peoples here in what we call the United States. And when I see affluent white liberals basically condemn Jews for wanting a homeland while not condemning, you know, Muslim attacks, it really irritates me because Christian, white Christians here have no problem with the manner in which their ancestors engineered genocide against Native Americans, stole their land, destroyed their history, even though these same white Christian ancestors didn't have the same type, no such historic claim to the land they stole. So before, you know, white, affluent white liberals, before y'all start jumping on Jews that want some sense of a homeland, you need to check your own privilege. I'm just saying. Jews do have a historic claim to that land, as do Muslims. But the problem isn't ownership. The problem is religious intolerance coming from fundamentalists on both sides. Now, this isn't to be construed as justifying the evil attack conducted by Hamas. Hamas is a terrorist organization, and they, they have gone on record in their own charter, dating back to 1988, that they intend to attack any Jewish presence in any part of the Middle East and intend to destroy us. All right? I believe it was Golda Meir that was quoted as saying, Peace is not possible with people that uh, with people that want to kill you, okay? And that intolerance, that hatred of Jews, was not historic. It was actually um, built and cultivated by the Grand Mufti in conjunction with Adolf Hitler. You know, a lot of Americans don't realize. You ever wonder? And and again, I'm not anti-Muslim, but. Did you ever wonder why is it that the Nazi war machine didn't attack Muslims? I mean, Hitler's whole issue of the Aryan race was all based on white supremacy and racism. And yet they left Muslims alone. You ever wonder why? Because Muslims fought on the same side as the Axis. Muslim soldiers fought in Hitler's army, while Jews fought for the United States. Let's get a little real here. And unfortunately, a lot of those old Nazi propaganda books, they had been around since before Hitler really came to power, dating back to World War I, and it was the same old blood libel. Okay? You know, I've I've had, and I know I'm rambling a bit here because it's very emotional. I've had friends, you know, kind of say, well, why is it always the Jews? You know, friends that are not Jewish. And they're trying to understand and I don't have the answers, but I do have a theory. And one of it is we have been numerically a very small people. We haven't had any major numbers since antiquity. So I think part of it is just, um, you know, if you are a bully, if you are, um, you know, if you want to have a scapegoat, you pick the group of people that are the smallest, that have the, the smallest numbers because their ability to fight back is more limited. That's it. I think it's really that simple. But the fact is, um, we're not going to fix this overnight. And if there's ever going to be a peace, a fair peace, that is, we have to deal with the historic hate. We have to deal with the historic lies 
that, yes, started with Hitler and the Grand Mufti. You know, at the end of World War II, and a lot of Americans, including American Jews, don't realize this, most of the uh, migrants, most of the um, former concentration camp victims they, that were Jewish, they had relatives here in the United States. These were city people. They had family here that would have been happy to take them in. But a lot of them were not allowed into the United States because of our restrictive immigration policy, which was still based on the immigration law dating back to 1924. Jews were classified as non-white, something a lot of people don't talk about, but it's true. So where were they going to go? It's been suggested, well, they could stay in Germany. Really? No. So the UN created this mess. And they went, they, they received money to buy a small piece of land, maybe build a little house. Do you really think these city people wanted to be farmers in the middle of the desert? I don't think so. And the Palestinians refused to sell to them. Then shortly thereafter, you know, one of the lies, the spread has been, well, the Jews forced the Palestinians out in the, from the very beginning. That's not true. Palestinians were told by their Muslim neighbors in Egypt and in Saudi and all this, to get out of Dodge because they were going to attack the Jews. This happened in the very beginning, and it, ha it was repeated during the 1967 war. What the Muslim neighbors did not count on was losing the war to Jews. Okay? That's what happened. Now, does that justify what the ultra-radical conservative government of Netanyahu has done in recent years? No, it does not. Okay, the, uh, Gaza should not be an open-air prison, okay? And there, you know, there's blame to go around on all sides. But when you need to figure out a fair and just solution, yeah, you do need to go back to the, the whole history. And the truth has not been told about that. So I, I pray that we will find some way around this. But we also have to deal with the fact, you know, I was listening to the Young Turks. Cenk Uger was, you know, talking about how Gaza is a, you know, an open-air prison. And Ben Glebe was on it, and he said, but let's point out the fact, too, that there were people, like after 9-11, with cell phones dancing around, even now dancing around, um, celebrating the murder of Jews. And Jenk had to give in to that. And let's face the fact that Hamas hides in civilian areas. How do you root them out then? You know, this is guerrilla warfare. Let's be real here. And a lot of the white liberals that have never faced discrimination a day in their life, they also, a lot of them have never been in the military. They've never dealt with war. They don't know the nature of it. War is ugly. War is vile. Let's get a little real here. And this is a war. Make no mistake about it. And Hamas hiding in amongst the civilian population doesn't help. Uh, do I believe that all Palestinians are going along with this? No. Do I believe some are? Probably. Again, in order to come up with a just solution, we have to look at the entire history, not just the parts, that have been repeated over and over again, conveniently forgetting the fact that Muslims were trained from World War I and World War II to despise Jews, even though 
We're basically cousins. You have to go back to the very beginning. <clears throat> I pray that there's some sort of way to do a ceasefire and to, I, I don't know. I, I don't know the answer. I know that there are some progressives that will probably get mad at me, but I am not, while I'm trying to be as fair as possible, I am not one of those Jews that will self-flagellate either. And I don't need the permission of people on the right or white liberals. I don't need your permission to exist and tell the truth. I just don't. My question is, would these same white liberals did they, have the, did they have the same problem in Northern Ireland when the IRA was fighting? Did they have the same problem with the idea that there are people that, want to, that are, are of Irish descent that want to claim Ireland as their homeland? Or there are people of Italian descent or whatever? seems to me everybody's able to claim that but Jews. So the only way we're going to get to some way to, to end this barbarous, war and still have a right to self-defense, we have to look at the entire history, including the parts that some people don't want to see. But at the beginning, the Jews that migrated there after World War II, we didn't start this. We were the ones that were attacked. And we were attacked because we exist. And so a lot of the hatred that Muslims felt for us were actually coming from Nazi propaganda that the Grand Mufti circulated. So let's get a little real here. There's more history here than what has been talked about. So I, I don't have the answer. We do have a caller. I'm not sure how to do this using my phone. I will try. Let's see. Let's see. Hello? Hello. Okay, you're on the air. Hi. What can I do you for? I agree with what you said. I mean, if, you know, we do need a balance, you know, as far as stuff like that goes. And um, mm -hmm. one of the things is you have, um, not only do you have um, hatred for each, for each religion, but you also have, like, different types of people that want to play into that. They'll, like, mm -hmm. miscon... Sorry, they'll they'll exploit situations on either side to try to get people mm -hmm. to hate more people. <laughs> That's me. what they do. Yeah, I I agree, and there's not. I do think that religious fundamentalists on all sides, uh, Jewish, Muslim, and Christian, need to kind of step back a bit. I, I really do. Um, so. Thank you for calling in. We're about to end the show, but I appreciate it. You're welcome. All right. Have a good one. Bye-bye. You too. How do I do that? Okay. So that's our show for today. Um, I guess somebody heard it. <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy. Uh, we will be back again next week. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> we will be talking about several Supreme Court cases, uh, not only the uh, – challenge against public education funding, but also the Idaho law that poses a direct um, threat to free speech rights and criminalizes certain types of free speech. Uh, but we'll be talking about some other cases that seek to literally dismantle important programs, including Social Security, Medicare, and so on. So 
I hope you learned something today. Please stick with it. I apologize for any of the tech problems we've been having. And with that, I say good night and God bless us because we're going to need it.